Hi, this is Eugene Ballet at the Bar, a podcast made by the dancers of Eugene Ballet in order to amplify artists' voices in our community and beyond. We will be speaking with and hosting discussions with members of our own organization, local artists, and members of the arts community of Oregon. We hope our voices add perspective to the ongoing conversations around arts and culture happening in these unprecedented times. Hello, welcome to Eugene Ballet at the Bar. My name is Mark Tucker. I will be your host for today's episode on elements of artistry. I'll be joined by two very special guests, Danielle Tolmy, a principal dancer with Eugene Ballet, and our associate artistic director, Jennifer Martin, as we kind of get into what we feel uh, constitutes um, artistic approach from a dancer perspective, uh, from a coaching perspective, the dancers we've idolized, the moments in our careers where we've kind of had these discoveries. Um, but before we get into that, I just have a few brief announcements. Eugene Ballet has announced their 2020-2021 season. You can find all that information at our website, eugeneballet.org. We will be producing a first-ever streamed performance Halloween evening from the Holt Center. It will be a gala. We will do Nutcracker in December, followed by Dance Unfazed in March, closing with Cinderella in April. Again, all the details for these performances can be found on our website, eugeneballet.org. Lastly, InstaBallet is producing two free live outdoor performances, Saturday, October 3rd, one from 1.30 to 3.30, and the other from 4.30 to 6.30. That's at Capitella Wines on the corner of 5th and Charnelton. The seating will be spaced outdoors in their back lot. There will have refreshments. There will be a pizza truck and, of course, the delicious Capitella Wines. Please bring your family, bring your friends. It's a really, really neat way to experience dance and uh, the creative process. One more time, that's Saturday, October 3rd, tomorrow. One performance from 1.30 to 3.30, one performance from 4.30 to 6.30. Food truck, wine, it's going to be an excellent evening. And without further ado, please enjoy Eugene Ballet at the Bar, Elements of Artistry. Um, Jen, this is your first time on the podcast. Yes, I'm so honored. Would you give us uh, a little uh, bio? Just a brief one. Sure. <laughs> I am originally from Southern California and uh, trained all over the state there. Ultimately finished training at the Royal Winnipeg Ballet in Winnipeg, Manitoba. And joined the Eugene Ballet Company as a core member in 1994. And have been here ever since. Did 18 seasons dancing and was principal dancer before transitioning into associate artistic director. Right on. And we've actually had a few dancers join from your alma mater in Canada. Yes, yes Um, we have. I think we've had somewhere between three and four. I love it um, because it kind of harkens back to my days there and I know that the training is super solid. Well, today we want to focus specifically on elements of artistry and uh, how we approach artistry as dancers and I think um, school has a lot to do with that. Uh, There's uh, there's several formal um, schools, classical techniques of ballet Um, and depending on where you 
go to school, they often focus on a very specific um, school of dance, um, school of classical ballet. Uh, Danielle, uh, do you want to talk a little bit about your teacher in Connecticut and where he came from? Yeah, my teacher, his name was Alan Woodard, and he was British, and I think that's why I love Tony so much. Um, they <laughs> they kind of remind me of each other. They both went to the same school, didn't they? Um, he did not go to Elmhurst. He no. went to Festival Ballet. But they have a very similar lineage. Very similar, yes. yes. Um, and he in general just had so many stories about these prima ballerinas and the way that they would perform and the way that they would conduct themselves um, during rehearsals and it was really inspiring it did take a, a lot of the time during class his his little speeches but they weren't really speeches um, about these dancers 20 minutes would go by but those in those 20 minutes we would learn more than just Steps. We would learn about what it takes to be an artist. The history, where it's kind of come from. Um, it's definitely really special. I certainly can think of a few teachers that I had that were storytellers. You uh, know, and we'd go, you'd almost yeah. try to plant a seed to create that tangent so you could catch your breath. <laughs> you know? So true. Yeah, so it's true, true, right? Can you tell us another yeah. But Wait. these would last a little too long, yeah. <laughs> where it's like you're in the middle of jumping, and then you're like, I've been standing here for 20 minutes. Point was supposed to start five minutes ago. Right. Now, in Canada, we had, um, because it was Vaganova training, we predominantly had Russian teachers involved, um, whether they were from Bulgaria or some other Eastern Bloc. But the thing that was fascinating was um, they put a lot of focus on the character development, role development, and the thing that I thought was really beautiful was they would try and find the strength that was inside of you. So for me personally, if it wasn't necessarily the technique, it was the quality that they tried to pull out of you within the training itself. That was was a beautiful thing. It's, go ahead. I was just going to say, what makes a good dancer isn't always just the technical mm. aspect. Yeah. I think that is one of the most predominant conversations, just behind the scenes. Always discussing the balance of technique, people who can do amazing feats of strength, feats of control, um, quality, you know, stamina. And then somewhere on the other side of that coin where you think about artistry, interpretation, um, how dancers are able to capture an audience's attention, capture their emotions, Mm -hmm. it's a very, very difficult thing to nail down. And I think it's something that we actively explore as we perform, as we approach class. Even class this morning, we, we had several discussions about not allowing what we were doing to just be an exercise but to add that inflection that are that approach that leads to more dynamic movement exactly i in fact i for me personally yes watching a dancer that has tremendous capacity as far as flexibility beautiful lines they can do all of these wonderful technical aspects after a while 
it really doesn't speak to me anymore if they can't tell a story. If, if there's nothing behind it. And yeah. it's, it's interesting. Um, Danielle and I have had the opportunity to travel with a lot of our summers. Not this current summer. We've been home like everyone else. Um, but we've always enjoyed watching other companies perform. Um, we got to see American Ballet Theater a couple summers ago. We spent a, um, a summer visiting some of our dancing friends in Houston, Texas. We, ha- we got to see the Houston Ballet. And it was amazing to watch these companies that are arguably some of the best in the United States right. with gorgeous dancers, phenomenal athletes. Um, and you just pick certain people on stage um, and these the, out of the cream of the crop mm. some people just speak in they that do. way yeah. and they it's absolutely um, do. phenomenal phenomenal to see um, it's certainly I, I've always kind of sat in the audience and imagined what people are feeling and I think it's the dancer in me right. that that is transported with their movement I have a very uh, intimate relationship with dance and then I watch other dancers and I try to feel what they're feeling uh it is uh definitely the way I experience performances but I would watch these dancers and some of them just had an electricity that was undeniable and they'd be standing in the back corner of uh, the core and you just pop right your eye is drawn to them I found that even growing up in southern California because I was in my late teens um when we what I would consider to be that the heyday of American Ballet Theater when you had people like Susan Jaffe Baryshnikov Gelsey Kirkland all of those people uh Leslie Brown all of them going through and Joffrey Ballet Paris Opera Ballet, Netherlands oh Dance gosh. Theater. All when they were all touring to the United yeah, States. Yeah, the Kirov, yes. everybody coming through. And you could go either down in Orange County or up in Los Angeles proper. And you could see all of these companies passing through. And it was, the newspaper would publish who was performing on any given night and what you could expect to see repertoire-wise. And we would we would go and pick because there were certain dancers that we knew you just would knew. do the whole package. It wasn't just the technical feats, you know, and it was about seeing the artist in t- in its entirety. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we it, go ahead. Had um, the privilege of working with a woman several times in Hawaii, but also she came and said, Mikey, yes, yeah, Mikey Munoza. Shout Bell out to Mikey. Early piece here, um, and we were talking with her about this same thing over dinner, and she was like, "There's one thing that really sets them apart," and we kept guessing, "Is it this? Is it this?" And I she felt kept like saying, we were skirting it, but we didn't use we the didn't exact use word. The, she really made us work true, for it. True, <laughs> true. And I think what we ended up saying was genuine. Like there's, there's something about these people, like. They're not trying to be someone. They're not trying to do something that someone thinks that they should do. It's really coming from within. It's their using your practical experience exactly. as a human being and translating that into the language of dance. I feel. Yeah. And and I do think there is a a place for that technique in there. Oh, like yeah. the work that we do in class, the amount of time we put in behind the scenes speaks to that challenge, that hardship, um, knowing failure, 
knowing success, the, the relationship between those two things and being um, very honest about it when you're on stage makes a really, really beautiful approach yes. to being in the moment, being genuine. You're not telling anyone's story but your own and whatever you're doing channels through you. I know we we both talk about this, and I'm sure Jen has had similar experiences being on stage where you forget that the audience is even there. And you're not worried about, like, okay, I have to go and I have to do this turn, and then I have to go and do this. Like, you just are totally in the moment. You are that character, and everything around you kind of melts away. Um, Sometimes. Sometimes I even freak myself out because I'm worried I'm going to forget what's going on. Like if you're too, <laughs> yeah. if you're too, too immersed, there, yeah. you're immersed. It, um, it definitely happened during Carmen. We'd be so angry and we'd be, you know, doing those fights on stage in the bar and I'd be pushing Danielle and I would get so hot. Literally just my skin would get hot and I would worry that I'd forget or we'd be rehearsing and I'd feel that same feeling and then Tony would say, okay, stop. And I'd have to take a few deep breaths to calm down. <laughs> Just get, get back in the room. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, just great memories. But there's something about that presence, that willingness to um, be there. It's I, hard. It's interesting you talk about Carmen because that's one that I feel strongly about. That and Dracula. I mean, any of the oh, big roles that yeah, Romeo and Juliet yeah. have the have the strength of of carrying a story through. And for me. I would say it's not that I forgot or I lost that, but for me, when I was doing it, it was be, it was a feeling of is this is this big enough to read to the audience? Are they understanding what I'm trying? What this what the story is that I'm trying to tell them? Right. Um, I I feel, and that's one of the things that when I'm teaching nowadays or working with people within the company, uh, even when I went to set Shahrazad on. OBT last year, shout out to OBT dancers today. Um, It was when, and I set Dennis Spate's Scheherazade on them, which I staged also on Eugene Ballet Company several years ago. And Oklahoma City, right? Yes. Yes. So shout out to Robert Mills and OKC dancers too. Um, The thing that was, that always is important to me is what you're talking about it's not trying to you don't wish for something you you don't have and mm-hmm. you don't try and achieve an imitation of something but it's about finding a strength what is the strong suit in your own personal body mm-hmm. so if you have great feet or great turns or great lines something or great articulation it's taking that skill and honing it and then adding on top of it your personal interpretation of a role so that you can tell the story effectively and genuinely yes Mm -hmm. it's not pretending or wishing for something you don't have because I think that always leaves you with a feeling of dissatisfaction and I I cannot tell you I mean I'm sure you'll agree it it is important to walk away at the end of a show feeling satisfied with what you've done. And I feel that the people who don't walk away with a sense of satisfaction, they're disappointed. They've spent the entire time trying to achieve something that doesn't come quite so naturally. It's, I, I completely agree with you. 
um, there, there's a few things that you said. It's so true. And I think when I watch my favorite dancers, it's something they do. Absolutely. They play to their being and their persona, their identity, and that's what comes through. And that's, it reads so genuinely. I think on the other side of that, what we do as artists um, and kind of our day job, so to speak, is to identify those weaknesses mm-hmm. and to strengthen them. Absolutely. And, uh, and like I used the, the metaphor of a coin earlier, on the other side of that, you do learn by imitating people. You yes. learn by watching other people with those strengths you feel you lack. And um, that helps push us. You know, walking away from a class or a rehearsal and feeling dissatisfied, dissatisfied is very different from walking away from a show and feeling dissatisfied because that dissatisfaction does contribute to the our growth as artists. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, in my opinion, very important for us to make sure that your approach during a day's work is different from your approach during a performance. True. I, it's I always, hard sometimes to differentiate them. I always enjoyed the rehearsal every time, hands mm-hmm. down. Always loved the rehearsal more than the show. Always. <laughs> because I I felt you... I mean, you had... You have one chance on stage. It's true. Whereas you have all of these rehearsals, so you get to you get to enjoy it over and over and over and build. But yeah, I would say, don't hear me say that you shouldn't. You should no, no, work no. On that, other things. I, I I feel yeah. dancers are overachievers on a daily basis because they are trying to work on per, being perfect yeah. every day. But I I feel that oftentimes there's an um, a sense that makes them feel they're so hard on themselves they tend to be negative and that's why I'm like you have to focus on something positive here right. because you can't spend the entire process feeling dissatisfied there has to be something positive in there totally uh, Danielle and I have struggled with this very thing for especially it's funny later in our careers I think there's an energy and sort of a bullheadedness when you're really young that you're just hungry and you just put your head down and plow forward and it all seems sort of rewarding and then after you've achieved a certain level of success it becomes a little gray and it's very important to refocus on those elements you know balancing your work the dissatisfaction that you carry with you and appreciating things that you also do well and it's so hard to give yourself those wins that's what we call it give yourself a win for the day (laughs) because if you feel like you've won there's almost um a sense that maybe you didn't try hard enough or push (laughs) yourself enough yeah but there's also just more pressure on you and you expect more of yourselves yes absolutely yeah instead of you know trying to achieve something once you've achieved it it's like all right well everyone's expecting it from me now before it was like can they do it right it's true it's true now it's expected i feel like the dancer's career is so short and that when i was looking towards retirement i didn't ever want to look back and say oh there was that one day where i rested i didn't want to ever oh god no (laughs) because it is you know i wanted to look back and go i busted my butt 
every day. I didn't mark in rehearsals. I didn't fall out because that's to me it's the way you grow. It's what we're talking about. That's where the about, learning happens. Pushing yeah. through those areas and that the might not be as good, but that was the other thing that was you know working with Tony. She would she would set these really high bars. She'd say, "I really want this." And so, you know, in, in rehearsal when there's no stage, no lights, no audience to make you nervous. Quietness. You know, it's perfect. You're like, yeah. oh, yeah, I can pull off that triple turn, no problem. And then you get onto the stage, yeah. and then it's expected, and guess what? You blow it, you know, because there's <laughs> all this tension, and that's why I feel like there has to be something else that you put your focus on so that you don't look at it and go, man, I missed that. That's sucks like there's one thing that doesn't go well and it ruins everything everything yeah you well just your perception it doesn't actually ruin the audience doesn't know it's supposed to be three turns you're you and tony know it and the other dancers know it's supposed to be three you know they know that and in some ways that's worse (laughs) (laughs) totally peer peer pressure oh she blew it (laughs) it's uh it's actually something i feel like i've learned from you um, both both Danielle and I have certainly idolized you through Aww. our career. Just to fluff you right up while we're Aww. on the podcast. <laughs> um, but uh, I remember we were doing, we were on the road, we were doing a show. One thing went wrong. And I came off stage and I was just fuming. Just breathing it out. And uh, you said something about finding the satisfaction and knowing that the audience doesn't feel what you're feeling right now and you have to rise above it you have to be and what what I took I suppose my lesson in my own words is you have to be willing to fail in order to succeed at those things if you put that pressure for perfection out especially during a show it it fails every time and so being willing to go out there and be vulnerable to fail to not create your expectation but to create the reality in that moment that is the most beautiful thing and it is a difficult thing for a lot of dancers not all dancers some people take to it very well right it's it's, true. it's interesting um so danielle and i had the pleasure of both dancing with you um well, while you were mutual while you were performing <laughs> But you've since made the transition into associate artistic director. You've taken on a coaching role. You kind of sit on the other side of the room, so to speak, yeah. and quite literally. Um, yeah. Especially now. Is there, is there something you feel like you especially valued while you were dancing that you try to impart on the people you're working with nowadays? The story, to me... Yeah. To me, that's, and that's why, um, and, and expansive moving, because that was not, uh, especially as I approached the end of my career, I was quite uh, physically inflexible, I would say. <laughs> there, was, uh, there was always somebody that was more flexible than myself. Um, so my strengths were char- the character and the articulation of my feet that you were also just very strong too just sure yeah um so i would say those that's that's it pretty much (laughs) but um so 
we always try and work the things sometimes that we ourselves had difficulty with. And I feel that moving beyond your body because the size absolutely matters from the audience's perspective and then the character itself. Mm -hmm. So there are those always those neoclassical ballets that don't really have a story, but if you can project larger than life, mm -hmm. the audience, it's more you of... You create the it's story. A, it's a visceral feeling yeah. for them. Mm -hmm. They can really see what you're trying to do, yeah. and they can relate far better if you if you project with size and then uh then the story has to you have to be able to it really makes me crazy i hate i couldn't stand it when we would go see these world renowned dancers and they they did they were beautiful to watch they did the steps but really to well me it was boring it yeah. was so boring i i I don't know I just I really had a hard time with that and that's why we chose which cast we would go see because we knew X person would be dancing that night and X person would be telling me the story which I wanted mm -hmm. to see the story well, I want to believe it <laughs> I think that that's something both you and Tony are so good at when it comes to coaching um, for these ballets you are both so good at pulling the story or helping us to create our own story in our head. You've danced so many of those those roles. You have Well, a, you know what it's like to be created on by Tony. And she's has a clear yeah. vision. It's yeah. so clear. There's a dialogue there, to it, every moment. Yeah. And so And a thought behind each movement. But you know, I feel um I know that sometimes it can it can be not a hindrance, but I think that's why you we've all danced together mm -hmm. and we've grown up through this company together and so we know we know each other very intimately mm -hmm. so I know aspects of your life um, and so I can when it comes time to right. coach on those roles I yeah. can say do you remember when you two were dating and then you broke worked. up for a little bit <laughs> yeah, you know so you can use those practical experiences in right. life and I think that's very advantageous and same thing with another dancer principal dancer in our company Reed Souther it's the same thing I've known him since he joined this company. He was 20, he was 19, 19. 19. 19. Yeah. And it's all of those experiences you can say, you remember that moment. Do you remember yeah. how that felt? Yeah. And so it's using those practical experiences to, it really makes you vulnerable mm -hmm. to the audience. And I feel that it really transports them and it takes away when those emotions are genuine and real. Totally. Yeah. And it, we keep saying it, genuine. Yeah, feel like there's something about the more mature dancer. I don't know. I feel like I wouldn't have been capable of doing something like this when I was 20, 22. Right. Like you have these life experiences, like Jen was saying, to pull from. And that's not to say that a 20-year-old, 22-year-old couldn't, couldn't do it. But for me personally, having those mm -hmm. life experiences... It has made me a better dancer, has made me a better artist, and 
would change that. I completely agree. Well, I would say using using simply the example, you can teach, uh, because we use pantomime, obviously, all yes. the time in the story ballets. You teach a pantomime class to a group of young teenagers. They're in such a hurry to get the words out <laughs> that it never comes across clearly. And they have, um, oftentimes, they have a sense uh, they're timid. Mm-hmm. And so they don't want to move expansively and take the time and that translates to how they dance. And I think the older you get, the better you understand moving expansively, and there are exceptions obviously, but moving expansively and taking the time because you have better technique mm-hmm. under your belt or a better understanding of technique, you learn a way to be efficient with yes. the technique so you can be expansive with efficiency. Them. Yeah. For sure. The efficiency really resonates with me. I feel I've gone through a few injuries now. Right. I've had bulging discs, I've broken bones in my feet. Every time that happens, you learn a little bit about economy of movement. And it is something it, like a dancer can be wise beyond their years. But unless they've lived those years, they're not going to actually know what that's like mm-hmm. to be in the game for that long, to be uh, kind of progressing in your artistry and your technique for those years. Right. Um, well, and having the repetition of the roles over right. that, that cycle too. Revisiting something. Yes. Yeah. And because dancers always use video, well, most people... Most dancers that certainly I know, trending use, that way. <laughs> use video as a tool. It's a learning tool, and I I always loved to go back. As painful as it was to watch past performance, <laughs> I second that, Jen. You look at it and you go, "That needs to be better. That needs to be better." And if you're if you can be kind enough to yourself to find at least a couple things mm-hmm. that were halfway decent, <laughs> but knowing where you can push more it, yeah. it's funny that you say that I, I actually talked a little bit about this in a podcast with Alessandro uh, one of our co-hosts and we were talking about how painful it can be to watch you oh. watch yourself dance on video and just want to fix things and correct things and mm. uh, there is um, there is that element where you have to sort of accept it you have to give yourself, yeah. you have to find a few wins in there. Like, oh, I did do that. Yeah. Or, wow, look at how high I was jumping. I'm we so always, young. <laughs> we always say, like, it feels so good, and in your head, it looks really good. <laughs> and so you don't necessarily want to watch it to ruin that feeling that you had about so it. Oh, true. Because then you'd watch it, and you're like, that's not how it felt. Exactly. <laughs> it is that... That was the one thing I always, acting-wise, telling the character, I generally what matched in here, in the head, matched what I saw. But technically, things did not, you know, that they just didn't feel like, my leg did not go that high. I, it felt like it was really high. Yeah. <laughs> it did not go there. You know what's funny <laughs> that you say that? We've almost come full circle to where we started, is we're back to the element of uh, artistry, physicality, yeah. the dialogue versus the technique. Um, and when that dialogue comes through, 
in that moment, it is real. And that technique that comes out of you is almost the most direct reflection of how you're feeling. It's funny, uh, one of our coaches that we've worked with a lot, Susan Zadoff, mm-hmm. um, you've worked with her oh, as well. Yeah. She's brilliant. Yes. She always is on me about the dialogue because when I'm not thinking about the steps or the technique or my turnout or my toes, that is when those things are actually the best. The most flow is the balance between dialogue and technique. Mm-hmm. You trust yourself, you know the steps. That is not generally the problem, my problem anyway. It's not over-focusing on one thing or the other. And, and in that balance is, is that flow, that thing, that middle of the note. It, it's so beautiful. I, I would say that absolutely agree with all of that. But the one thing I would say just to build upon that is the reason I absolutely abhor it when people mark in rehearsal the whole point of doing it over and over full out is so that you drill the technique in the body mm-hmm. so that you don't have to think about it on stage absolutely and the more you mark it in the studio mm-hmm. the more you don't commit a hundred percent it's not the same the more you have to think about it on stage Roger that so that's and I Working with Leo, he was one of my absolute favorite partners. Is he never, we did not mark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We did not, he, unless he was injured. It's funny, I was thinking about Leo when we were talking about putting this podcast together. He had some really brilliant ideas, um, or more of a philosophy when it came to his approach for partnering. Partnering is kind of an interesting element in our art form because from my point of view as the male partner, it is almost all function. Mm. And so when you're in this world where you're supporting something, supporting somebody, supporting that technique, those lines, the movement, it, um, it can be difficult to find where the art lies in that function. To tell the story um, with your partner. To tell the story with a partner. <laughs> and, uh, and what we, we, who, we were such nerds, we would talk about this all the time, but you come back to this, the relationship yeah. is the artistry, the trust that goes into that work, the trust that goes into those challenging techniques, the, the overhead lifts, the one-armed catches, the... The things where there's real risk involved, not just for your performance, but for your body. And there's something so beautiful and it almost raises me up to meet that challenge when I'm partnering. I find this um, freedom in the trust that I need to succeed. And it's not just about me. I'm not dancing by myself. It is that relationship that is more holy than myself and I think it's a really interesting way to approach partnering I don't think everybody does that no and I would say there's you the the something that you and Leo share there's a quality and that is the language of partnering you often tell and communicate the story not just through 
You don't just place your hands on your partner. This is what I was taught in partnering class, to hold her forward in an arabesque. And get your and hand on her hip. I have to have under this her armpit. S shape with my arms when I'm going into a promenade. We have to keep our shoulders square to each other. You know, all of this stuff. <laughs> it's a good place to start. It is a good place yeah. to start. Where your focus should be when yes. you're turning with your partner. No, it's about how, how you place your hands, how you place your arms, that there's a language that the two of you develop together that you tell you can you're able to tell the story while you're partnering. Yes. Uh, for example, when you guys were doing Peer Gint years ago, um, not actually not too long ago, and Reed was partnering you for Anitra, and we were talking about the quality of how his arms the sensuality mm-hmm. the language just simply placing arms the quality and we're taking hands but exactly I mean, it, but it's you still have to convey the story and i think that's why partnering for men is so hard because it's not just the technique of where the arm placement is but mm-hmm. it's about the ability to make this story conceivable from the audience's perspective because if you focus solely on the technique you right. lost the story you lost it the suspension of disbelief in that and moment. so the language yeah. of that of how you're how you're talking with your partner and that's what again it, I think it harkens back to that drilling the more you mark the more you spend working eventually you work the technique of it and you can't tell the story and work the technique because you haven't spent enough time right in the studio working the technique it's so that you familiar. can develop the layers is there something you look for in a partner, Danielle, that, or very specific feedbacks. Is there anything you can just touch on? Well, I mean, a good partner is going to make your job easier. I mean, <laughs> That's general, a good way to say it. Like, it should be fun. <laughs> it should be fun, because you shouldn't have to work and, like, have to do extra... Um, I mean, eye contact is a really big thing. Oh, man, I've been wanting to talk about eye contact. Um, but... Especially when you're partnering and trying to tell a story with someone, having the connection with them, not just the steps happening, but even even in Nutcracker, even though there isn't necessarily a story for the sugar plum in the Cavalier, having those moments where you can make eye contact and so critical, especially with less story. It's just what what how are you going to make this? How are you going to make this plausible or relatable to the mm-hmm. audience? Mm-hmm. What's going to make them walk away and go, I feel satisfied. Yeah. Or and man, I'm, those people are so in love and they're so happy or whatever, whatever it might be. Whatever it is. Or they're, yeah. so, they're so tender or something. Yeah. You know, they, they really love Clara. They care about <laughs> each other. One of my favorite compliments is, you really care about your partner. And I'm like, of course I care about my partner. She's my but wife. It, it drives <laughs> me nuts to think that other people might not. Yeah. Right. They're out there oh, fulfilling a, a well, function. Because they're so focused on, again, the, okay, I have to put my hand on her hip. And then, okay, here we go. We're going into the pirouette. And it's I like, think one of my least favorite memories was the last time. It was uh, when I was reti- the year I was retiring in 2012. Tony was, she lined up the entire season of things. She asked me what I wanted to do. And she also had things she wanted me to do. So it was a a good balance. And so we did Romeo and Juliet. And Leo and his wife, Vanessa, went, they moved to Europe the year before I retired. I had hoped 
that he would stay through my retirement. Because <laughs> I was so greedy and he was just, I needed that. <laughs> he, he, he really was. Yeah. But he couldn't, understandably. Be greedy. But uh, so I was performing Juliet with uh, a dancer that was younger, which is not unusual. Uh, but he was also not as experienced as a partner. And his he had a huge difficulty conveying the role and I will never forget Tony in rehearsal saying hey so and so (laughs) she is overpowering you in acting you have got to pull it up a notch because she is overpowering you and ultimately it wasn't just overpowering in the role but it was also overpowering him in the partnering I literally mm-hmm. would knock him down yeah. because he his his inability to commit to partnering and role right yeah really it, puts, it was it was disappointing and yeah. and that was one of my greatest frustrations is look eye contact and there being a lack of it mm-hmm. yes and the feeling that you were dealing with a partially empty shell. Mm-hmm. Well, it, I think like the eye contact, something that we haven't touched on, is being vulnerable. To look at someone in the eyes like that, make that, that connection, you have to be vulnerable. You have to put yourself there. And not everybody is, is capable or... They're capable, but it's it's scary. It's really right. scary. Right? Can it you is. hold so eye intimate. contact? Right. And, and sometimes you're gonna work with people you don't like in a person <laughs> yeah. on a personal level. And can you can you work with them in a space on stage and convince the audience that you're in love with each other? It can is, you do that? It's hard. Because that's your job. I'm sure that there are actors out there that really despise each other. They're cast in a movie together. They have to convince the viewer that everything is right wonderful in it's their world true. eye contact to me it's so especially in the age of masks that's how we're communicating mm-hmm. we're doing so much and you could throw out any percentage like 80 percent of communication is through the eyes and facial features and or whatever i don't know but i certainly believe and i i work with um the young dancers, Eugene Ballet Academy, all the time. Your eyes are just as important as your porter bra, your apomol, your tendu, mm-hmm. your pirouette. It is one of your most powerful tools. And the way I describe it to them is if I'm standing on stage or we're sitting here across this table, we're six feet apart, I can't reach you with my arm, but I can reach all the way across the table and be right next to you with my eyes. And you can do that same thing in the Halt Center, 2,700 seats, and you can reach the person in the third ring with your eyes. And that is, it's such a powerful thing, and it takes a lot of discipline to work on that. Yes, Luca, we agree. My coach, my coach from when at Patricia Stander, who's no longer living, she always told me, I did my first guesting for Nutcracker when I was 15 with Robert Hamlin, Who's, shout out to Robert, <laughs> who lives here now in Oregon, but this was in Santa Barbara. And um, yeah, he gave me my first guesting job. And so she helped coach me for it. And she said, that third 
tier, that third tier pricing, those are the least expensive tickets. And she would tell me, somebody, it's, uh, the, this poor man who has no money has purchased this ticket and you have to reach all the way up to those seats. Mm -hmm. You know, and that could be that family who can, who scrapes by enough to bring their entire brood with right. them. And you have to reach those people. They are just as deserving as the people who are sitting front and center who've paid over $100 for mm -hmm. a ticket. They are just as deserving. And you know, that's uh, something, it reminds me, it's a goal of Eugene Valley to make every ticket affordable. Yes. It, it, is, it is a core principle of our organization. And I think it's a misconception that our tickets are are very expensive. They are not. They're affordable no, for but, all. But that element, reaching that third ring, reaching that person who wants to be there, who deserves the experience yes. of the ballet, can make it happen. It's it's a beautiful part of what we do here. Yeah. I, I'm very humbled by that. Yeah, I love that idea, though. Your eyes can reach to the back of the house. Some teachers say laser beams when you're feeling real hot. <laughs> well, it's, it's, the eyes are super important to me. The last thing that I really wanted to talk about was breath. Um, even as we sit here uh, talking, um, and I heard, I listened to this in a pod, uh, TED Talk podcast, but we coordinate our breath. And as I talk and you respond, there's kind of um, a little dance that goes on with our breathing. It is important to incorporate those same things on stage. And, and again, when I'm t especially when I'm talking to students about this, I say, when was the last time you cried? And then some of them will raise their hands and they'll be like, I cried this weekend. And I'm like, you don't have to tell me. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> but my point is, when you're crying or when you're feeling emotional, that anxiety, that tightness in your chest, you can't get a breath and you're just going and everything feels so like you're living in a vacuum. Or when you're laughing and everything is flowing out of you freely and there's no restriction at all, it is a direct reflection of the emotion you're feeling in that moment. Right. And it's something I absolutely pay a lot of attention to when I'm thinking about a role or a joke or something we're trying to communicate, especially we talked about pantomime earlier, taking that moment, which sometimes is literally a breath right. before you respond, makes all the difference in the world. It and allows the audience to really see it and have time to process to breathe the emotion yeah. or what, what words you're trying to say. Yeah, and I I think it's so important. It's um, it's something I I really like to think about when I'm doing any part, or even um, you go back to the athletic aspect. Um, you have to breathe in order to to make it through that you know six minute potata. Right, that I feel like hard. people who shorten their breath, short they shorten the movement. They don't have that expansive quality. Yeah, and they uh, their body does not have their necessary. Recovery time, mm -hmm. and it you that breath allows your body to process the movement again, working efficiently. Yeah, so. absolutely. And the last thing, breath is universal. Everyone who comes to see a ballet 
is breathing. Everybody on that stage is breathing. We're all human beings. We have to breathe to live. It is something that connects us and unifies us. And we may not all be able to, you know, lift our leg up to our head, but we can all relate to those moments you take when you're feeling emotional, if you're using your breath. It is, uh, is something I get real nerdy about. <laughs> anyway, we have uh, blown through about an hour. Uh, thank you so much for joining thank the podcast, Thank you for the invitation. Jen. Thank you. Uh, it's always lovely to spend yes. time. Thank you, Luca. Luca. He's been so uh, calm this whole he time. He did fall asleep for a little bit. That's cool. But, uh, That's his job right now. Yes. Um, thank you, Danielle. Thank um, you. Thank you to all of our listeners. We really appreciate um, the audience we've been able to reach through the podcast. If you have any feedback at all, you can reach us at podcast at eugeneballet.org. Uh, we are currently working on putting together a gala in October. Yes. It is very exciting. Eugene Ballet is committed to not only putting their dancers to work in a safe uh, manner, but to continue to produce things during these trying times, and it is, um, as a dancer, it is my greatest privilege to be a part of this organization. Well, it's um, our privilege to have such gifted artists, and the level of commitment that the dancers have displayed displayed during this time, and the the commitment to returning their bodies to a state of readiness. Whew. Puts me, uh, I just bow down every day. Well, thank you for class this morning, Jen. Thank, thank you for joining you. Eugene Ballet at the bar. Thank you, Luca. Thank Luca you, says love. Bye. Luca says bye. Bye. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of our podcast, Eugene Ballet at the Bar. If you liked this episode, make sure to share it with your friends and family. We're always looking for new ideas and topics to discuss and share with you. If you would like to send us some of your suggestions, you can do so by writing an email to podcast at eugeneballet.org. We are so grateful for your continued support of our organization. If you would like to make a donation to support the ballet, you can do so by visiting eugeneballet.org forward slash donate. Thank you for listening, and we hope you'll join us next time.